Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The Crisis Next Door, a weekly report on the biggest conflicts around the world with host Jason Brooks. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. It's been 13 years since Israel and Hezbollah locked horns in the 2006 Lebanon War, resulting in the deaths of 1,300 Lebanese and 150 Israelis. Things are once again heating up along the border, threatening to reignite hostilities. Joining the crisis next door to talk about the situation is Randa Sleem, Senior Fellow and Director of the Conflict Resolution and Track 2 Dialogues Program at the Middle East Institute. Randa, thank you for joining the crisis next door. Thank you, Jason. Good to be with you. Lebanon's president, Michel Aoun, recently said that Israeli drone strikes on Hezbollah and another Iran-allied militia group in Lebanon were a declaration of war. Hezbollah leader Hassan Nasrallah also pledged to shoot down any Israeli aircraft entering Lebanon's airspace, as well as retaliating against future Israeli strikes against Hezbollah fighters in Syria. Randa, you've written that the conflict between Israel and Hezbollah has entered a new phase. How dangerous is this new phase? It is very dangerous because there are no rules of the game between the two countries um, to uh, to um, regulate this conflict uh, that has been going on between them for a long time. As you put it, after the 2006 war, the last military confrontation between Hezbollah and Israel, uh, there was somehow a tacit understanding reached between Israel and Hezbollah on the rules of the game. Uh, and these rules of the game basically said Israel will not target uh, uh, Hezbollah personnel. Israel will not attack uh, Hezbollah's bases inside Lebanon. Uh, uh, Hezbollah cannot do uh, operation uh, inside Israel. Hezbollah cannot target uh, Israeli soldiers or kidnap Israeli soldiers, as happened in 2006, uh, as a prelude to the war then. And so, and those rules of the game pretty much survived. Every now and then there was a violation, like in 2015, uh, Israeli Air Force attacked a um, convoy uh, of Hezbollah and uh, Iranian Revolutionary Guard operatives that were uh, at the time present in the Golan, on the Syrian side of the Golan Heights uh, between Israel and Syria, and killed um, the son of Imad Maghniye, a a senior, um, highly revered uh, Hezbollah uh, military commander, killed a senior member of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard who was part of the convoy. And right after, Hezbollah retaliated with a calibrated, limited attack uh, uh, inside uh, Lebanese-Israeli contested territory known as Joshabha Farms, and at the time killed, I think, two Israeli soldiers. But it was an attack that was limited and immediately followed by messaging between the two parties that they want to restore the uh, status quo ante. They want to go back to the rules of the game. And uh, since Hezbollah entered the Syrian war to support Bashar al-Assad in the civil war in Syria in 2012-2013, Israel has been attacking Hezbollah convoys in Syria, has been attacking Hezbollah, um, you know, military installation, Iranian military installation. But Israel has taken, uh, has been very careful about not 
targeting Israeli, I mean, not targeting Hezbollah uh, uh, fighters, not target Hezbollah militants. So, and, and that was okay by, 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 by Hezbollah. But, and so, as I said, the rules of the game was no attack in each other's territories, i.e. Lebanon and Israel. So in recently, uh, last uh, 10 days, I think, uh, Israel did, did two attacks, which according to Hezbollah, violated those rules of the game and changed the rules of the game. And so we are now in a state of, of, of no rules, and hence it is dangerous. And these two attacks were, one, Israel attacked a, um, a cell, Iranian Hezbollah cell in Syria that was, according to Israeli military force, uh, sources, was planning a drone attack, weaponized drone attack inside Israel. So they attacked that cell before they launched the drones and killed two Hezbollah uh, operatives who were part of that cell. And shortly thereafter, that attack on Syrian territory was followed by two weaponized drones, Israeli drones sent into Hezbollah's stronghold in Beirut, southern suburbs of Beirut. These two drones did not lead to any kind of, ca did not lead to casualties, but it created some material damage. But the mess, it was a message from Israel by sending these drones inside Hezbollah's stronghold, basically a message to Hezbollah leadership. This is where the area also, I mean, southern suburbs of Beirut is the area where a lot of the Hezbollah senior leaders live with their family. It was a clear message also from Israel is that we are going to get you wherever you are, you Hezbollah leaders. And so after these two attacks, which really happened within hours of each other, Nasrallah made a speech and he said, okay, the old rules of the game that have been in place between us regulated the conflict, ensured a status of peace, fragile, but peace uh, since 2006 between the two countries now is ended and now we are entering a new phase. And, and, and I think the recent retaliation by Hezbollah last Sunday in response to this attack on the southern suburbs of Beirut marks the beginning of this new phase, which will very much be marked by a pattern of, you know, attack, counterattack, attack, counterattack. For the time being, both sides would like to keep these attacks and counterattack limited in scope, not degenerate into a larger war. But, you know, when you do this pattern of attack and counterattack, there is always an element of miscalculation and error, and that can lead to a, re to a, to a larger war. Israel has been very active across the region, hitting Iranian targets in Iraq, Syria, of course, Lebanon. Why do you think Tel Aviv has broadened its approach? Is this really about its rivalry with Iran? It is, I think, proxy war, you know, uh, for some time, especially since Iran uh, came on force in uh, to Syria to uh, to support uh, the regime of Bashar al-Assad and have now in, entrenched itself. I mean, the Iranian Revolutionary Guards now have entrenched themselves in uh, Syrians' military and intelligence services. Um, they have brought, they have developed a network and brought into Syria a network of Shia militias from Afghanistan, from Pakistan, Lebanon, Hezbollah, Iraqi Shia militias to who that that over the last three years have been working and have succeeded in in uh, in uh, uh, in helping in helping Assad stay in power, and so Israel has had now has been Israeli officials have been uh, talking about uh, basically three threats facing them. The first one is the Iranian nuclear threat, and so we know that Israel has been working for some time, a long time 
going back to the Obama administration, even before that, and now especially with the Trump administration, to make sure that there are no dialogues between the United States and Iran, to make sure that there are heavy sanctions you know, imposed on Iran, and with the objective of denying uh, Iran a path to nuclear, uh, nuclear weapons. So that's the first existential threat, which Israelis said, which is an Iranian nuclear weapon, and they're going to do any resort to any measures to prevent that from happening. That's one. The second threat that they have been talking about recently, again, starting, uh, uh, you know, especially after the Iraq war, when Iran came in and into Iraq and gained a, a major foothold in support of the Shiite um, uh, co a political coalition uh, in Iraq, uh, especially when the Americans were uh, there. And then since the beginning of the civil war, they came on force into Syria to support Bashar al-Assad. So you have this now what we call a corridor or a land bridge that goes all the way from Iran, through Iraq, to Syria, to the Mediterranean, which Iran could use to transport weapons, to transport personnel across the three countries. So you have this whole access now, which is very strongly um, affiliated with Iran and which Israel views as also another threat to its own security. It gives basically Iran a, a, foot, a, 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 a presence at the border of Israel in two countries, in Syria and in uh, Lebanon. And the third threat that um, recently uh, Israeli officials have been talking about, and they said it has now become their priority number two, is what they call, there is uh, the Hezbollah Precision Guided Missile Project. Hezbollah has, has always said we have they have thousands of missiles. However, these missiles have always lacked in accuracy. They were not precision-guided missiles. And so not being precision-guided, I mean, of course, they can, you know, when they send them across the border, as happened in 2006, the damage is very limited in terms of material damage and in terms of what threat. Since 2006, one of the lessons that the Hezbollah has taken from the war in 2006, along with the Iranians, their pattern, is that they need to really shift their missile arsenal into a precision-guided missile uh, uh, arsenal. And that, according to Israel, is a may, is an existential threat. Because once Hezbollah has these, uh, the missiles that they have right now, you know, hundreds of thousands of them, upgraded to be precision guided, then they can target critical infrastructure installation, electrical plants in Israel, nuclear power plants in Israel, airports, cities, with high level of accuracy. And they can be, in that respect, much more lethal and much more, um, you know, uh, uh, powerful in terms of their impact. And so Israel saying now that this precision guided missile project that Hezbollah is developing is not only being developed in Lebanon, it's being developed in in weapons factories that are controlled by the IRGC, the Iran Revolutionary Guards in Syria. Uh, some of the elements of these missiles are being shipped from Iran and stored in weapons depots that are controlled by militias in Iraq, Shiite militias that are linked to Iran. So they are looking at this Iran regional project on one hand as being a threat because it gives Iran, as I said, a, a, a presence, a major presence on, on two of Israel's borders, but also they look at this Iran regional project as enabling Hezbollah's precision guide missile project, which for Israel is an existential threat. Even without the precision-guided missiles, Hezbollah has clearly built up its capabilities since the 2006 war when it had around an estimated 15,000 missiles. Now you've got some estimates putting upwards of 150,000 rockets and missiles in southern Lebanon pointed at Israel. 
Does that missile buildup change the calculus for Israel's military? Until, you know, I mean, it looks like, I mean, with the Iron Dome and with, you know, a lot of the air defense capabilities that Israel has and Israel military superiority in in this field, uh, thanks to, you know, a lot of U.S. technology and U.S. assistance, I think until recently they have felt they can deal with it. I think the precision guided this 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 um, this upgrading of the of the missile stock that that Israel that that Hezbollah has is what has now been you know mentioned by Israeli intelligence and and military official as being the existential threat. It's not the regular kinds of missiles. And until now, even according to intelligence Israeli intelligence estimates, Hezbollah has anywhere from six to 12 precision guided missiles and so the the plan for for Hezbollah according to these uh, to the Israeli uh, intelligence uh, officials is for Hezbollah to upgrade the stockpile that you talked about the 100,000 you know missiles into a precision guided missile uh, 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 stockpile and that is something that Israel feels that uh, it, it it it's going to be a source of major, you know, threat to its, as I said, to its critical infrastructure. And as many Israeli Israeli officials said, I mean, it can bring major cities in Israel to a halt, you know, if this kind of missiles are lobbed in a future war by Hezbollah against uh, Israel. And so hence, uh, the problem is that can they stop this project? I don't think so. I think they can delay it. So even if there is a war and Israel goes into Lebanon in on force and destroyed most of what they feel are what they think are storage facilities for these missiles or weapons production facilities for these missiles, I think they can delay this project by a few years. But the know-how, the capacities, the will to acquire these missiles is going to be there for a long time, especially because Hezbollah sees that in order to maintain this mutual deterrence equation against Israel, it's, they need these missiles as, as an important critical component of this mutual defer, deterrence regime between Hezbollah and, and Israel. You're listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks, and we're talking about the growing confrontation between Lebanon and Israel with Randa Sweem, Senior Fellow and Director of the Conflict Resolution and Track 2 Dialogues Program at the Middle East Institute. Hezbollah, of course, has been critical for Bashar al-Assad's survival in Syria, but the group has also taken major casualties in the fighting. How much of a factor is that for Hezbollah in potentially tangling with Israel? In fact, that's, I mean, until now, Hezbollah has been very careful, as I said, between 2012, I mean, since, in fact, since 2006, and more so since 2012, this is when Hezbollah really entered Syria to to start fighting uh, uh, to help the Syrian regime um, regain, um, you know, upper ground against uh, against the opposition. Uh, Hezbollah has been very careful in not provoking an Israeli Hezbollah war. You know, I mean, they have, you know, their capacities are, are big. That's that's not to be underestimated. I mean, they have battle-hardened, uh, well-organized, well-disciplined force. Um, they have the hundreds of thousands of missiles that you talked about. Uh, they have a will uh, uh, to fight, and they have a community behind them that is very resilient, that can withstand, you know, the fight. Uh, and so, in that respect, they have the components of that are necessary to, you know, wage this fight. But at the same time. 
they, they, they are not they are not strong enough or powerful enough to be able to wage two front campaign or three front campaign. So once they decided to enter the Syria war, Hezbollah has been very careful about not upsetting the status quo they have had in place on the border between Lebanon and Israel, the, the status quo that they have had with Israel. And so, as I said, in the past, whenever they felt the rules of the game established between them uh, with Israel uh, were violated, they resorted to very limited target, tit-for-tat retaliation, with, followed by quick messaging you know, to the Israeli leadership via the United Nations, via third parties, that this is the limit of our retaliation. We are not going to do more than that. Part Partly not to provoke Israel into a larger war. And they have been very careful throughout, since, especially since 2012, in, 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 in messaging you know, to Israel that they are not interested in a war. And Israel also, likewise, has been messaging to Hezbollah they are not interested in a war. So there were, both parties have been interested now in maintaining the status quo. And so, and so for, for Hezbollah, as a result of the Syrian war, they have now a quite skilled, battle-hardened force they have now a regional role. They are seen now as regional players that has fighters or trainers working in Yemen with the Houthis, working with Shia militias in Iraq, uh, working to support the Syrian regime. I mean, the Russian forces that are also in Syria look at Hezbollah with much more respect and reverence, in fact, than they look at the Syrian regime forces. You know, they 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 say in many conversations I've had with the Russian officials is that Hezbollah Allah is definitely a disciplined, well-trained uh, 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 force, unlike the Syrian the Syrian army, which is not that disciplined and not and no longer that well-trained. And so, uh, so Hezbollah has equities. What I want to basically the conclusion I want to come to is that Hezbollah now has equities that they have gained, they have spent blood and treasure in acquiring them. And so any war with Israel, especially if it's a major war, is going to lead to loss of these equities, you know, or major loss of these equities. And so that is part of their calculus. So when they took, uh, think about cost and benefit of a war, they have to factor that into their calculation. Hezbollah has also grown its political power base in Beirut, but Lebanon is a multifaceted society. How much support is Hezbollah getting from Sunnis, Maronite Christians, and the Druze? And would those groups go to war with Israel? I think, thank you very much for the question. And it is a multifaceted society where Hezbollah is a major player in it, among other political players. Hezbollah has definitely more military capacities than any other military um, political players as well, and more capacity, in fact, than the Lebanese army itself. Uh, it has more missiles than the Lebanese army has. Uh, however, Hezbollah's decision-making also has to be always constrained and factored into it how other Lebanese political players will react to any of their decisions. So, for example, we have seen that when Hezbollah decided to send its fighters to Syria to, uh, uh, to support Bashar al-Assad, this decision was done in contradiction to the Lebanese government decision at the time to disassociate itself from the conflict in Syria. Hezbollah said, we understand you took this decision, but we, you know, Hezbollah, for our own interest, for the interest of, I bet, Iran's, you know, Iranian interest, which is their main pattern, we have to go and make sure that Bashar al-Assad stays in power. We cannot afford to have a government that is not 
pro Iran and pro Hezbollah in Syria. It's just it cannot. It, 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 it denies them the strategic depth they need in their resistance, so-called resistance against Israel, or in, in their so-called uh, fight against uh, against uh, the United States. So that's what Hezbollah said. And so, I mean, the Lebanese government could not do anything to stop Hezbollah fighters from going to Syria. But at the same time, whenever Israel attacked Hezbollah convoys in Syria, whenever Israel even attacked Hezbollah Lebanese uh, uh, militants in Syria, Lebanese parties, the other Lebanese parties, did not condemn Israel, did not say we are going to war against Israel because Hezbollah is there on its own you know, decision to fight Bashar al-Assad and it had nothing to do with the Lebanese government. Now, looking at the recent event, when, Hezbollah, when Israel attacked, sent the drones to attack you know, uh, Hezbollah officers inside Lebanon, when it sent its drones in, uh, in, a, in an area, which is the southern suburb of Beirut, which is heavily and densely populated, then you see all Lebanese officials, from the Lebanese president to the Lebanese speaker of the parliament, the Lebanese prime minister, all of whom you know, belong to different confessional groups in Lebanon, all of them coming together around Hezbollah and the Lebanese president declaring that, saying that this is this amount a declaration of war by Israel. So whenever we are talking about Hezbollah, you know, Israel, in the future, if there is a war between Hezbollah and Israel, I, I expect all Lebanese parties, all Lebanese groups to come behind, you know, to, to, to come together in, in fighting, you know, against, uh, especially if the aggression is to be instigated by Hezbollah. Now, uh, sorry, by Israel. So in the 2006, there was, you know, some debate about, about within the Lebanese population and Lebanese political elites because they felt that the war resulted as a result, uh, resulted because of a decision by Hezbollah to go across the blue line, which is a temporary border established by the United Nations between Lebanon and Hezbollah, uh, between Lebanon and, uh, and, and Israel. So they decided in 2006 to send their militants across the blue line, kidnapped Israeli soldiers and brought them inside Lebanon. And so you had then, then it was viewed as an aggression by Hezbollah or as the aggression having been instigated by Hezbollah leading to the war. And at the time you had a lot of... Uh, you know, I mean, you had a lot of debates about why did Hezbollah do this. And even at some point, Hassan Nasrallah, after the war was finished, said, if I knew that 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 this was going to be the result, this was going to be the Israeli reaction, I would not have done that. So that's why today, if there is a war between Hezbollah and Israel, and the war is instigated by Israel, by Israel then I don't see any kind of dissension happening among the different political groups and the different communities. Everybody will come together in support of Hezbollah fighting Israel. However, if the war is seen to be instigated by another Hezbollah decision that was not publicly supported, uh, then you will see the same. You, you are not going to see that kind of coming together. But like in this recent incident, incident when you know Israel sent these two weaponized drones into the southern suburbs of Beirut, the, uh, there was a, a unified outcry for, uh, from all the political leaders from different groups saying this was a, an attack on Lebanese sovereignty and requires a response. Can Hezbollah count on Hamas or other Palestinian militants to help open up fronts in Gaza or the West Bank if war erupts? In fact, in the lead up to recent Hezbollah's um, retaliation, uh, which happened last Sunday, uh, uh, Hamas officials said that if this retaliation by Hezbollah 
will lead to a you know will eventually be responded by Israel uh, in a in a uh, I mean if if this retaliation leads to some kind of a regional war uh, because Israel decides to you know to up the ante and respond to this retaliation by a major by bombing you know uh, Hezbollah installations throughout Lebanon and Syria and others that Hamas will then open the front and will engage in this war so Hamas officials have been very clear at least as recent as two weeks a week ago or even 10 days ago that that in case of a war between Hezbollah and Israel they are going to be involved Randa, what do you see happening here if you look into your crystal ball? Do you think both sides will realize the, the dangerous possibility of what war brings both Israel and Lebanon and they will return to a status quo? Or do you think that the potential trend line that we're looking at right now is pushing both sides indeed into a conflict? Look, I think if we look at the precision missile project, which seems to be now the major focus of the potential conflict, Israel is not going to, I mean, has three scenarios, you know, to deal with it. Either we'll continue with these, you know, attempts at chipping away at Hezbollah's and Iranian capacity to develop this missile project, which have not resulted until now because the efforts to develop this missile project continue unabated. That's one scenario. The second scenario, Hezbollah has to go all in, you know, the major war, go maybe in, even send forces inside Lebanon, uh, akin to what happened in uh, 1980s. And then you have a major war that is, doesn't involve only Lebanon, but it involves Syria, it involves maybe militias in Iraq, it involves in Hamas, you know, that's one, one way. And the third is that, is, is that the two parties, you know, uh, basically Israel has to come to live with this uh, missile uh, stockpile, uh, especially precision guided. And there is some kind of an understanding developed between the parties that we require also uh, uh, that we require also an understanding between the United States and Iran, because uh, Hezbollah's behavior, especially when it comes to the use of these precision-guided missiles in the future, is very much uh, done in coordination with the IRGC, the Iranian Revolutionary Guards. So if if we don't have this improvement in U.S.-Iran uh, relations, and in fact, the trend line is to the contrary rather than in favor of that improvement, uh, if, we, if Israeli officials keep... Uh, keep thinking of Hezbollah's missile project as being an existential threat. Hezbollah is not going to stop this missile project. Then I'm, I'm, I'm expecting that eventually we are going to hit a point when Israeli officials decide that the benefits of a war to, uh, to undermine, delay, um, uh, how to say, diminish these capacities that Hezbollah have in terms of precision guided, the benefits of the war, no matter what, I mean, will outweigh the cost. And there will be costs that Israelis have to incur. You know, there will be attacks on Israeli installations, major infrastructure installation. It will be a it will be a, 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 a much bigger war, more devastating war than 2006. But but then at some point, I think Israeli officials will come to the decision that even given these costs, the benefits will the benefits will eventually far outweigh the costs. It certainly promises to be very active along the Lebanese-Israeli border in the coming months. Randa, thank you very much for joining us here on The Crisis Next Door. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it. Thank you. We've been joined by Randa Sleem, Senior Fellow and Director of the Conflict Resolution and Track 2 Dialogues Program at the Middle East Institute. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Till next time. 
The Crisis Next Door with host Jason Brooks is produced weekly. If you have any thoughts for Jason, email him at tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. Again, that's tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 